Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. Today is an episode that I am so motherfucking excited to release because she has been a dream guest of mine, honestly, ever since I started this podcast. Today, we are chatting with the one and only Mick Zazon. Mick has been a shining light in my quarantine life specifically. I found her on TikTok probably of like April of 2020, and she has just been such an inspiration for me. She is a content creator, body positivity advocate, the founder of hashtag normalize normal bodies. She's a public speaker. She's she's incredible. She's amazing. I'm sure most of you know who she is. If you don't, you need to go follow her. This episode, we talk all about her journey um, with disordered eating and learning to love her body and its uniqueness. And she gives tangible assets on how to like work through thoughts and things, emotions that we're feeling. And we just, we dive into so much, honestly. Like, surprisingly, we even talk about motherhood. She's not a mother, but we talk about, like, the pregnancy aspect of all these things, shaping the brain of a child. It really is a broad spectrum of topics. I do want to put a trigger warning in for anyone who is struggling or has struggled with disordered eating or eating disorders. If now is not a great time for you to listen to this, pause, come back to it maybe at a later time if you feel like you're in a better mindset. But I do just want to put that out there. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please let me know your thoughts, share, subscribe, rate, review, do all the good things. And without further ado, here is Mick. Mick, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm so excited that you invited me. Oh my gosh, you've been a dream guest for a long time. And I know I just briefly mentioned this, but my mom is quite literally shitting herself probably listening to this. She honestly talks about you as if she has like three influencers, whatever you want to call content creators. I I don't know how you feel about the influencer word. I like don't love it. So I say content creator. I don't love it either. Yeah. Okay. So she's got three like content creators that she follows avidly and acts as if they are her best friends. And she will be watching stories and then like talk about people. She's like, oh my God, did you see Mick? Did da, 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 da. I'm like, mom, I haven't been on my phone yet today. Like, I don't even know. She, she literally will bring these people into conversation as if they are like sitting at her dining room table. Oh, she, I love so, it. I have a whole note that I'm supposed to read you from her <gasps> after this. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> she's, obsessed. <laughs> she's also struggled. She had an eating disorder um, when she was 
I would say in her 20s and 30s, she would probably say. Um, she also has psoriasis. So she relates to a lot of what you're talking about. And she's like, I, I just, I love, she she got uh, one of your shirts that the, I forget, My Body, My Choice, I think. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. She sent me a photo of her wearing it. She's like, look, I got mixed gear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that just made my morning. Wow. <laughs> You've got a 64 year old super fan, basically. That honestly is everything though. It just shows that like anybody can struggle and find inspiration no matter what the age gap or age range is. Absolutely. I also think specifically my mom's gener- like that generation grew up in such a diet culture, toxic, you only see thin bodies. You have to eat low fat, low carb, everything. Like it was the start, well, not the start, but it was like very heightened at that time. And she loves social media. She's on her phone a bit much and she's not active because we have been like, mom, you you cannot. She is so diva that she would like, she would be the best influencer in the world, but like she'd accidentally post like screenshots or like, inappropriate photos um, so my mom, basically <laughs> and so I said to her like she I think in the beginning when like Instagram became a thing and she started going on her phone and I think this speaks to so many of us not just her I mean me myself as well she was following all these like specific type of people that I think fit the mold of what she grew up seeing and it's toxic and she would say things to me being like oh my god oh my god and I'm like mom give me your phone especially someone who's dealt with an eating disorder in her past. I'm like, give me your phone. These are not the people you need to be following. So I was like, I followed all of my favorite, like body love and like just positive and reinforcing loving yourself accounts. And you were one of them. And so I followed all of these people on her phone and now her feed is completely different. And her mindset has honestly shifted even like, not that I even thought it had to, but it did. I've noticed it. And you've quickly become a favorite of hers. So that is awesome. Honestly, I, I really wish my mom was more involved in social media in that way. She just doesn't know how to work it, but I do agree um, that that generation, I mean, you, it, you look back in history and starting in the sixties and more so in the seventies, um, the ideal body type became very, very thin. Um, because the fifties you saw bra cups that had those pointy things and then yep. um, Marilyn Monroe and, and everything. And everybody was embracing their curves. Now that's not to say that, um, fat bodies or plus size bodies were in by any means. Um, but it, it didn't really start, uh, the thin culture didn't really start until the 60s, 70s. Yeah. And I mean, I talk about this a lot, just like how, and I think a lot of our generation can agree with this, how much we've been impacted by those like 60s, 70s eras, just through watching our, parents, most of us watching our moms. Um, And I've had this conversation with my mom so many times. It's not that she ever like put her body image struggles on me by telling me I had to diet or like restricting my food, but you pick up on what your, what your like close family members are saying to themselves, especially as a kid. And hundred percent. Like I picked up on her being extra critical of herself and then, you know, small things. And so I do think our generation has 
greatly been impacted by that time, which sounds so crazy because it's so long ago, but honestly, through our parents, I do think it's happened. Oh yeah. I mean, I even had this conversation with my dad, my mom, like my mom, I've had previous conversations with, but uh, my mom and I have the same build. We are not petite by any means. We were born with very sturdy bodies and from the very beginning by watching my mom, I, and listening to her, I knew, or I was taught that my body was just sturdy and it didn't, it wasn't normally beautiful because Mm -hmm. of how she spoke about her body and her, her broad shoulders and how she wore clothes and how she would never go shopping because she knew that shirts wouldn't fit. And then with my dad, my dad's a recovered alcoholic. Um, and thankfully like he's been so great when I talk to him about this. Um, but with his recovery, um, he tended, he, he tended to hide foods and sugary foods and, and go through a lot of those, um, the binge restrict cycles because Mm -hmm. he was a a previous alcoholic, which basically was this not the same thing there on completely different playing levels, but they, they hold the same concept of, um, uh, you, you know what I mean? So I, right. And there's an addiction that you look, you put, you oftentimes recovering alcoholics, put the addiction into a different field. That's just not alcohol. Correct. Correct. So I would watch him hide foods in the oven and different places around the house. Not that he meant to, but that's because of his habits. Um, so I watched both my mom and dad go through a, a lot of binge restrict cycles and that kind of uh, started my disordered eating, my disordered exercise habits, and then that escalated into my eating disorders. So at what age did you, reflecting back, because I know it's different in the time, in the moment, it's hard to like put terms and vocabulary to what's going on, especially if you're young. But when you reflect back, at what point would you say you started struggling with eating disorders? Um, I mean, eating disorders, I would say around, I would say 16, um, disordered eating probably since I learned how to read and, and understand magazines when I would go to the grocery store, um, those, (laughs) those 10 day lose 10 pounds, (laughs) uh, uh, magazine covers. I used to be obsessed with walking through the magazine aisles, but when I was 16, oh yeah. When I was 16, um, I had my driver's license and I find, I, I finally, finally found autonomy in my body. Like I could drive places. I could, I, I found some independence. Um, and I quickly, thought that meant me having some autonomy over my body and thinking that losing weight was my only purpose, even though I was an athlete, like I was a nationally ranked athlete. And even then I was like, my only purpose is to look good other than being a high performing athlete. And I think something, just the quick thing you mentioned about the magazines, I've recently been thinking about that a lot because I would say that I didn't have disordered thoughts around my eating until honestly after college. And I feel blessed by that. And a lot of it, I think stemmed from, it's interesting because you mentioned you were an athlete as well. I felt that because 
of sports and I played soccer and lacrosse my entire life that like it just I never and I'm thin bodied. I never thought really about food in that way. And I never had I never struggled with my body, honestly, until after college. And I feel so blessed by that. I think also I'm a bit older than you. And so social media plays a different role because I talk to college sororities all the time now. And I'm like, I didn't have body image struggles really in college, but I also need to reference that like Instagram, TikTok, none of those apps existed. And if they did, I would have really struggled. But the magazine aspect, I've been thinking about it a lot recently when I think about diet culture and like how it's impacted me. And I never thought I had disordered thoughts around eating, but at the same time, I would love those like what Jennifer Aniston eats in a day type things. Like I was obsessed with them and I would love reading them and I wouldn't implement them into my life. But the fact that I had such an obsession over reading them and like an inquiry into what what are they eating? What's their breakfast? Like, and I would compare it naturally to what I was doing, even though I wouldn't then completely take on that diet. It, it's just wild to me that this young girl is reading these magazines, caring about what like a Jennifer Aniston is eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad always says, um, you are what you are around. And it's, it, even if you don't plan on utilizing those things that you read, that's still a form of knowledge that's in your brain. So uh, there's no going back after that. Like you think, you think those words and you think her exercise plan and her way of eating is a fact. You don't take into consideration that there's a whole $7 billion industry behind all of that. And it's all curated to make us feel like crap about ourselves so that we can buy into whatever exercise or diet plan that this person is getting paid to promote. Right. And also like, how the fuck are these magazines finding out what every celebrity is eating? (laughs) That's the other thing. It's such bullshit. It really is. It blows my mind. (laughs) It's wild. And exactly what your dad said, I totally agree with. And I think it was magazines for our generation. Nowadays, I don't think many young girls are reading magazines that could be wrong. Um, But I think it's very much now just social media. Mm -hmm. And I originally found you on TikTok. And for me, when I first started, I guess I downloaded the app March of like 2020 when I think it blew up for everyone. And I remember opening the app and because my Instagram is like freckled foodie and that was my handle, it's food focused. So like the algorithm started giving me all these like quote unquote healthy food things. And it was all these like diet plans exercises to like lose fat and then 16 year old girls in bikinis who like had barely hit puberty with like the tiniest bodies ever doing dances. And I would open the app and like, even though I was just like scrolling within 10 minutes, I'd be critiquing myself thinking I have to do something different. Like I am 28 years old at the time. Yeah. 28. Like, what am I doing on this app comparing myself to 16 year old bodies? And it wasn't until I figured out like the algorithm and how to hit not interested and follow other people that it changed. And now for the most part, I love the app. I get overwhelmed as a creator, but as a consumer, I enjoy it. But it's so true. Like passively scrolling on Instagram, we're consuming so much without even realizing Mm-hmm. And social media, no matter how much you can curate your feed, things just randomly pop up, whether you like it or not. Like yesterday, I was scrolling through 
uh, TikTok before bed and there was a video of this doctor and I was like, oh, he's probably going to like say something about like food freedom, whatever. I kid you not. It said my favorite weight loss medications. Oh my God. And he listed out like 10 of them. And I, I was like, no, this can't be like, I almost, I was in disbelief because if you're a doctor, you don't just say that to the public. Like, right. What? How in the world do you think that's okay? It blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Right now, my explore feed on Instagram is all like, if I go on my personal account, it's all these like how to lose weight after birth, like how to get back to your like pre-pregnant body. I'm like, would you shut the fuck up? I don't want to see any of this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't care. It, it it seeps in no matter what, no matter how hard you try to fix the algorithm, it still can like sneak in there. Especially with postpartum bodies. I, I've never been pregnant. Um, but again, I, I've had two sisters that um, were, and two times, one with twins and then one, just a a baby. And then my other sister had two kids, um, two separate times. And each time I saw my sisters go through a a difficult experience because for, for a very long time, as much as body confidence and body neutrality has really blown up, um, in the last three years, um, more so this year than anything, um, postpartum bodies didn't really get the memo until I would say in the last eight months, um, maybe to a year, because a lot of times, you know, when you look up postpartum bodies, it's, it's how to lose the postpartum belly or anything like that. And I firsthand watched my sister go through a really, really difficult time. And it was really hard for her to understand that she literally just birthed a life into the world. Like, I don't think we understand how crazy that is to begin with. Like you literally created another human. No, it's, it's insane. Like I have not had the best pregnancy. I haven't enjoyed it that much. And I'm honestly very scared for like the postpartum situation, especially because it's all this like, quote unquote, bounce back, like as if Mm -hmm. that's a possibility. And I've now come to terms with the fact that my body will never look the same and that's okay. But the fact that we literally create life like that is what has gotten me through this entire thing because that's superhuman shit. Like, that's what I keep saying. I'm like, I'm a superhero. You you are. I still can't believe it. I, I sometimes I look at my sister and, and my nephews. I'm like, you, you made those and like, right. I, I'm like, how were they in your belly? How are they? How? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, No, but it's, it's so interesting to me because like, because of the education I've done and in my own recovery, um, having been recovered from orthorexia, binge eating disorder and bulimia, um, like we had mentioned before with how our parents influenced us in ways that they didn't mean to turn out negative, but they did because of the culture that they grew up in, in their own personal experiences. But it's how much of a blessing is it that we get to rewrite our, our baby's story because we now have knowledge. And I have watched my sister. Oh my gosh. It like actually makes me emotional. Like thinking about how, how much 
she has taught her children just by like telling them to listen to their bodies and listen to their emotions and say what they feel rather than um, telling them, you know, like you here, here's your food, eat all of it. Actually watching them eat and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm full. I'm done is not only therapeutic for them, but it's also therapeutic for you because you understand what, um, intuitive eating actually is. And I used to get so, oh my gosh, when I first entered recovery, my, uh, little brother, he's 17 now. Um, he was 15 or 14 when this instance happened, but I moved home, um, to go through outpatient recovery. And I loved halo top ice cream at the time. And I, um, it was, it was just so good. So I had a lot of pints in there and I had one flavor. I think it was like birthday cake or whatever. And I had eaten half of it. And then of course my little brother goes in and eats the the rest of the pint, but he only left one bite left. And that is annoying in itself. It's such a little brother thing to do. But I remember looking at him and I was like, you only left one bite. And he was like, yeah, I was done. And I I remember I threw a tantrum. I was like, there's no way that you can just leave one bite. I do not get it. I've never been able to do that in my life. How do you just not eat that last bite? And he was like, I don't know. I just don't do it. And I'm like, that is such a foreign concept to me. But as I, um, as I'm watching my nephews and nieces grow up and as I'm growing into my, my own intuitive eating, I can stop at that, you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And exactly what you said is uh, people ask me all the time, twofold, what are you most excited for? And what are you most afraid, like nervous for as a parent? And I'm most excited for the fact what we were talking about before is that I will look at this boy. I'm having a boy. I will look at this boy and be like, Joe and I made this human. Like you are equal parts me and you are equal parts my other favorite person on this planet. And that's crazy. But I also am, I am terrified and it's honestly what Joe said he's most excited for, which gives me so much hope because I'll just follow his lead. But it does scare me that we are shaping this human's brain. And I'm obviously excited because I think that I am emotionally intelligent and I've done a lot of inner work and I've grown a lot as a human and I've put a big focus on my mental health and like adapting the way that I think about things. But I also realize that I still fuck up a lot. Um, I am not the most patient person. I can get easily angered and triggered. And it's something that I do get afraid of when I think about the fact that I'm shaping this child. And it's not lost on me that we're bringing a white privileged male into this world. So I'm like, you better fucking understand like the privileges you hold, you better, like he will be very, very aware of everything. So these are conversations that honestly I never expected to have, but this whole pregnancy, my husband, Joe and I have been talking about like how we want to implement certain things. Um, even like little things. I'm like, I want our son to, I want him to have a summer job starting at least when he's in high school. Like I want him to have, that type of work ethic. Like I never had that. I come from a privileged background. It was just something that never happened. And I don't think it, I I think I have a hard, a very hard work ethic, but I also feel like I missed out on part of that. Um, 
And even when it comes to food, like I look at my husband and he grew up in a very, like everything has to be cleared off of this table, like Mm -hmm. um, a food pushing family. I love his family so much, but they're food pushers. And I've had to rewire his brain almost where like if we're at dinner and he he'll be like, I'm so full, but he's like still scarfing food. I'm like, Joseph. Yeah. You don't have to finish what's on your plate. Like it's going to be okay. Um, Cause I, I definitely wasn't raised in like your plate has to be finished before you get up from the table. And he was. And so even small things. And I saw this one graphic that I loved that was like the way you talk about things is very much picked up by your child, for instance, exercise. And it was like, instead of saying, oh, I feel so gross. I have to work out saying something like, I'm so excited to work out, to feel good, to feel strong or like, oh, I ate so much last night. I have to exercise today. Be like, I'm so glad I get to exercise today. And so we've even been saying these things to ourselves. Like when I say something about work, even I'm like, oh, I have to do this. He's like, no, you get to do that. I'm like, thank you. Like we're, we're even trying to fix it now because it is true. We pick up on so much. That's so incredible that you're already having those conversations. I, it's, I, obviously I'm not a mother, but speaking from, you know, growing up with parents that are flawed, obviously, obviously we all are. I love them so much, but like having those, having those conversations, I think in any relationship, in my experience, um, whether it be friendships, um, or, you know, significant others, family members, I think we oftentimes forget how much communication is like, is the backbone of everything. And having that vulnerability factor, that's the backbone of everything. Because I, I grew up thinking that I needed to people please so much to the point that like I would lie if someone someone asked me to hang out and I would have like social anxiety and I'm like no I'm doing something else like no wh- why don't you just tell them like I'm I'm just not feeling it today like rain check you know mm-hmm. um I like maybe next time and it's it, it's even in those small situations that you're like why did I do that like where does that stem from and it's the same thing with um, emotions um you know I I'm short-tempered in, in some areas. I'm, um, autistic. I'm, I have also ADHD. And so loud noises or, or things that when I'm hyper-focusing on something and something happens, I like snap right away. Um, and having those conversations like, Hey, this is actually a normal thing for me. And I'm really trying to work on it. It's not you. It's, it's something that I'm genuinely trying to work on. So maybe we can come up with a compromise so that, you know, it's not about you. Um, and, and we can both grow from this rather than having that be a sore point in a relationship or something that has to be in the back of your head when you think of that person. A hundred percent. I think emotional intelligence is so important and like having the conversations about your emotions and being vulnerable. And I grew up in a house that definitely we shared a lot of our feelings. Um, but I would say that my parents are not great at being my mom, especially does not love being vulnerable. She, she feels very uncomfortable with it. So she's always there to support people, but she rarely ever will lift her hand and say, I need help. And 
I feel like that's it's, a mom thing. <laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. And it's something that I've only really become comfortable doing in the past few years because you even think about how many people like, sure. And I'm not talking about small talk, but like close friends, like, how are you doing? And everyone's just like, I'm good. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's not, you're not always good. And a lot of people have been asking me recently, how are you in your third trimester? You're getting close. And I'm like, mentally, I'm actually doing really well physically. I'm fucking over it. Like mm-hmm. we're allowed to say how we're actually feeling. And this is something that my husband and I have honestly worked on a lot. And I think I, like I watch him and I'm just so incredibly proud of his growth. We've been together for four, 13, 14 wow. years. I don't even know since high school. So wow. we've evolved a ton, the two of us individually and together. And I think not to stereotype, but males are for the most part, I would say less likely to be like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this or, Hey, I'm anxious over this, or this is how I'm feeling. And it's so sad that we've created this society that males can't feel comfortable saying those things. And I really have worked on like tapping into that with him and expressing his emotions. And it's been so incredibly helpful for our relationship. And again, when you talk about raising a child, like that's one thing I really want to focus on with our kid of like speaking your emotions. Like, how does this make you feel? Like for me, like you mentioned, I'm also short fused. Like, why am I getting so angry? Like Mm -hmm. really working through that and putting words to those emotions helps so much, not only me, but for the other person in the situation, because it's really easy for them to write off of like, this girl's a bitch. Like, what is her problem? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, yes, 100%. Um, I have had, I mean, even when I was younger, like some friendships ended because of my short fuse. And I I say I'm a recovering bitch all the time. Oh, I mean, like I wasn't, I was more of like a quiet and then a a quiet person. But then if someone wronged me, I was like, fuck no. (laughs) Like there was no forgiveness. I, (laughs) um, I, so I'm an Enneagram eight, I'm all Sagittarius. Um, but I would like to say that I'm, those are very confrontational things. Um, I'm an INFJ, uh, which is interesting, but I uh, like, I, uh, give it a lot to therapy for helping me in my emotional talent intelligence. It's like been the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm so pro therapy changed my life. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know a life without it now. No, I I cannot fathom. And something that we were talking about that I did want to bring up when we were talking about social media and like, you know, what we're consuming and all of that, which I do think also plays into emotional intelligence because it is obviously I would love for creators to stop promoting diet culture, but like you can't control what other people are doing. So as a consumer, you do have to be aware and emotionally intelligent of how is this making me feel? Why is this triggering certain things? How can I adapt? How can I react if I happen to see this? How can I put myself in a better situation? You started an incredible movement of normalizing normal bodies, which I'm all about. Can you kind of talk about how this started for you and how it has really evolved. Yeah. um, It came about when I was a few months into recovery. I had mentioned earlier that I did outpatient um, recovery. So I had lived in Arizona for two years and my whole family lives in Ohio. Um, So I was kind of out there alone and 
besides the point, I'm actually going back to Arizona for the first time ever in a couple of weeks to um, mend my relationship with that uh, state. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. It's very Um, exciting. But I had moved back home after I came to the realization that I like couldn't live any longer um, with the sole purpose of like eating strictly. And I was just chained to social media and fitness videos and and everything and spending three or four hours in the gym and eating um, a strict amount of food. And if I didn't eat that strict amount of food, then my whole entire month was off. And I would go down this like really, really bad binging spree. And um, so when I moved back home, I had paused college. Um, I moved in with my parents. I had zero income. And so I was really just starting from scratch. Um, I uh, was a weight loss coach at one point on Instagram and I had around 80,000 followers from uh, sharing my transformation photos. So I went from a weight loss coach and sharing transformation photos and being um, you know, somebody that another person would look up to and think this is the only way of life because she looks so happy. But in reality, I was dying inside. Like I had been hospitalized and so many different things. And so when I moved back, I went and saw a dietitian, therapist, psychiatrist. Um, and I had my team of doctors really just carry me through and guide me through my own recovery process. Cause it's important that we, every individual has their own recovery process. It's going to look different on everybody. Um, and so a few months in, I had gained about 60 pounds, uh, through recovery. And I, when I tell you it was the most euphoric experience of my life, it was the best experience of my life. Like I still look back at it and I'm like, I don't think I've ever felt more, like happy in my body than when I gained those 60 pounds. Um, because for the first time in my life, I realized that I wasn't just a body. Like I, my purpose was more than that. And I decided to share everything. So I came home from a therapy appointment or a dietitian appointment. I can't remember. And I was so frustrated with how I, I saw things on social media. I was tired of, how on magazine covers or like even big magazine publications, social medias, like they were only one body type. And um, I was doing a partnership and I had a letter board and I don't know what came over me, but I was just like, why can't we just normalize normal bodies? So I wrote it down on a letter board and I, I posted a photo of it and it went viral on Twitter, Visco, Instagram, and now it has over like, it almost has 200,000, um, shares on, on Instagram, but it's been viewed on TikTok uh, like millions and millions and millions of times. Like it's, it's absolutely nuts how much it's grown. And it came from the idea that there is no ideal body type. Like your body is normal. Screw everybody else that thinks otherwise. I mean, and that's the most important part. And it's so like every single person is going to have a different type of body. And once we accept that and stop comparing, like that's when you find acceptance in your own body and your own 
characteristics that you've been told are flaws, even though they're not. Um, you know, I get so many messages, which honestly shocks me saying like, when did you learn to love your freckles? And you can't the zoom like contours my face, I swear, but I'm like covered in freckles. And it was something I never was like, thankfully I'm insecure about a lot of other things, but freckles was never one of them really. And I'm like, who the hell told you you should be yeah. like angry at your freckles? Are you kidding me? I'm like, also nowadays, are you fucking kidding people? On. Yeah, I'm like, people are drawing them on. People want to like, people want freckles. Um, but it, we've just been told, and I know you talk about this with your acne journey of just oh, the flawless, like perfect skin is realistic. Yes, some people are blessed with having, and I have been blessed with not having bad acne. My first trimester, I really struggled because I had all the cystic acne out of nowhere. And it was my first actual experience with acne. And I was like, this is fucking hard. And it was, again, like I thought, I thought I was in the best place I've ever been with my body and food. And then I got pregnant and our pregnancy was a surprise. So it really was like, okay, let's test everything for you. And the little things that happened to me during pregnancy really have even shifted my mindset even more that I'm so grateful for. And I want to continue after birth and still cherish my body in these ways. But even things like acne, something I've never struggled with, I'm struggling with now. I was struggling with. And it, it, it is difficult when you've been told you're, by everything that acne is quote unquote bad or that it's not beautiful or that it's a flaw. And we're told all these things by publications. Why? So they can sell acne products. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, it's so clear. Um, and I, I really think that the more we start to accept our own bodies and feel confident in our unique characteristics, like no one else looks like you. And that's really fucking cool. It's really fucking cool. And there's so many, there's so much misinformation out there with, with with body image in general. Like there's 99% of what you see on the internet is just fake and false. And there's no reason why anybody who, who would have even thought to make that up to put on the internet. Anyways, um, a lot what people don't understand about acne is that 99% of acne is genetic or hormonal. Um, And there's just, it's not about uncleanliness. It's not about being a dirty person or not washing your face. No, if anything, like I was the most clean person ever when I uh, really, really suffered cystic acne. Um, And I went through a six month course of Accutane and um, my skin, I'm pain-free now, which I am forever grateful for. And, you know, it's, it's going to be an ongoing journey. Um, I know those with Accutane have to either do one or two rounds, maybe even three, but um, even, even just sharing that journey and sharing even before that coming to terms with me understanding that I was beautiful and worthy, not so much beautiful. Like I beauty is, is a personal preference, but I was worthy. You're worthy as a human. My worth didn't change as a human when I had cystic acne and when I was self-conscious of it. And I shared that journey and it, it was so liberating, not only for myself, but others to then post photos of their unedited skin online and say, this is normal, like normalize normal bodies. Um, and it's been great. Like I have a, a red birthmark, uh, port wine stain on my face and I, uh, 
for the majority of my life, I went into doctors to get laser treatments on it, to get it lasered off. Like I love it now. I wouldn't change it for the freaking world. I absolutely love it. And it's so crazy that we've been brainwashed into thinking that even the most minuscule things about your body is something that you should be self-conscious about. Totally. I mean, and we're brainwashed for a reason. There is money and businesses behind all of these things that are pushing the, you need to get rid of it. But it's so incredible to come out on the other side of it and reflect back and be like, I can't believe I ever in at one point in my life didn't love this. Mm-hmm. Like it's what makes me unique. And I say this about when people ask me like, oh, I want to start an account, but there are so many accounts out there. It's the same type of thing. Like you are your own unique voice. No, no account will have that voice. Like no account will talk about the, those exact things. No account will speak like you speak. No account will have your energy. If you, if you lean into your personality, you will be unique and you will find your audience. And it's the same way when you even think about your body. Like no one has your body. Lean into what makes you special and like love it and own it and flaunt it because that's what makes you unique. And like, who wants to look like everyone else? That's not fun. Mm -hmm. And also uh, going back to our beginning point that we are what we are around, like how cool is it that you could be a stepping stone into social media being a more real place? That's incredible. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I did ask my community because I know I have a lot of Mick fans as well. Everyone was super excited when I said I was interviewing (laughs) you. I have, I got a lot of questions, but I chose a few. So I just want to briefly touch on those. Um, What practices do you think led you to improving your confidence? Um, Okay. So I, there are two things that I stand wholeheartedly behind um, they are actionable steps. So if you're listening, please do this. Um, we touched on this earlier. Unfollow anybody that makes you feel like crap. Follow people that um, you either look like or have diverse bodies. You know, people of color um, in, in the BIPOC community, different hobbies and and lean into a world that isn't so curated. Um, so starting from there and donating all of the clothes that don't fit you anymore or putting them away and putting them in storage. If your weight fluctuates and you know that, um, or if you're pregnant, you know, put all of those clothes away. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And, you know, uh, thrift, maybe sell the clothes that you are, are giving away so that you can use that money to buy clothes that fit you. Um, because, when I did that, when I had gained 60 pounds, I mean, I gave away slash sold 95% of my closet. And it was the most liberating feeling ever because I didn't have to look at my closet and think, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't fit into any of that. Like we don't understand how much that affects us. I can speak firsthand right now because similar to you, I lost not as much weight, but I lost a decent amount of weight when I became, but I don't ever think I had an eating disorder, but I definitely was on like the orthorexic side of things. I was obsessed with what I was eating and how much I was exercising. And I remember getting a thrill out of taking my, it was when I was working in sales and trading. So very different wardrobe, but I remember getting this thrill out of taking my like pencil skirts to the tailor to get them Mm -hmm. um, tightened because they didn't fit anymore. They were too loose. And I remember just like loving that, which is like a first red flag, like something's fucked up. And 
when I then gained around like 20, 25 pounds, I still had all those items in my closet. And I remember like I seasonally change out my stuff. I'll put it in storage, Mm -hmm. like under my bed, and then I'll bring it back out. And the next season I brought back out some of those pieces and I tried them on. And I remember just like crying and Joe's like, what is going on? I, I don't understand because you're so much happier now. Like you love your body. You look amazing. Like you looked like a little boy then, like no offense. And now you look like a woman and like, you look awesome. Why is this sad to you? And even though I could tangibly accept that and I agreed with him, just the the feeling of not fitting in things that you knew you once fit in was really hard. And so I, I agree. I got rid of everything. And right now with pregnancy, we, during quarantine, basically like had kind of moved to my parents without any real plan. So like we were kind of just taking stuff as we went and I was moving part of my wardrobe over there, but it's not like I moved everything. So when we came back, I felt so overwhelmed because I was at that point we came back and I was probably like at the end of my second trimester. So I definitely wasn't fitting in my normal clothes. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with all these clothes because now they're sitting here and I feel this like, Oh God, I wish I could get in them, but I can't. But like, I don't want to go through all my closet and get rid of things because who knows what my body is going to be like after pregnancy. So it, it is a huge thing of like getting rid of the stuff that you do not fit in anymore and does not serve you. Yes. And another thing that, I mean, I did it. One of my best friends is a style coach in one of her services. Uh, Her name's Daniela Siebert on Instagram. Um, She does virtual sessions and in-person sessions if you're local to Columbus, but she went through my closet with me and then um, donated or sold the clothes, the clothes that didn't fit me anymore. And having that be taken care of was such a relief because I didn't have to worry about it. But if you have friends that can be there with you that you've had open communication with is so freeing because it gives it more of like a lighthearted feel. Oh, something doesn't fit. Ha. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't have to be this, this weighted feeling because bodies are meant to change through every season of life. Like stretch marks are just a, a mark of life that you've lived. Um, and another thing that I do is take photos of outfits that I genuinely feel my most comfortable and confident in and putting them in an album, a saved album in my phone. So if I'm like freaking out about like, oh my gosh, what do I wear? I can go back to that and pick an outfit that I've previously worn or that I tried on. And I can be like, I know that this outfit will fit and I will look good as hell. <laughs> I've never done that. And I love that because I have so much right before I'm getting ready for something is like, I don't know what to wear. I hate everything in my closet. Like, yep. and I, had, I worked, everywhere. yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and Joe's dressed in two seconds in the same outfit he wears every day. I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with a stylist also. And I, like, I guess a year ago ish, um, but finding outfits that like finding clothes that you feel good in. And then for me, like I'm someone, if I find something I like, I will get it in every color because why not? And I also think I've heard this many of times, but I responded, someone asked me, like, I'm having all this anxiety about my wedding dress and fitting in it. Like clothes are meant to fit your body. Your body's not meant to fit into clothes. So Mm -hmm. don't tailor your wedding dress to a size that's not going to fit you. And it goes with any 
clothing. Like buy clothes that fit you. Don't be like, oh, I'm a size X in jeans. So I have to buy the size, even though I may have grown a little and I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to force myself to squeeze into those. You're going to feel worse naturally about yourself every time you put those jeans on because they don't fit. And that's not a like a problem. It's just, if you went up a size, you would feel better about the, yourself and the jeans and the size does not matter. Exactly. Exactly. And this also ties into a lot of the second question that I wanted to ask you from a listener is the post-pandemic body anxiety. Um, I know I'm struggling with it a bit because my I have no concept of what my body's going to look like. I'll be giving birth. Obviously, we're still in a pandemic, but the more people that are vaccinated, we're on the end of things, it feels. And... For me, it's just like, I don't even know what I'm going to be entering this as. And a lot of people seem to be having this, um, especially as we approach the summer. So the listener asked, do you have any thoughts on that topic or pieces of advice? I have tons of thoughts on that. And I have I have some experiences that I, I have that can hopefully help. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, the fact that pretty as humans, we look at people and we automatically compare, like we're taught to do that. So pre pandemic, we were around people. We saw other people's bodies. We, we knew where we fit into certain categories. So now that a lot of our world is within social media, we can only like have that comparison with the people that we follow online or, you know, through the shows that we watch, which again is so why following people that are diverse and, and make you feel good about yourself is so important. But now that I am, that we're entering sort of like a, a, I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to jinx it, but things are getting more lenient because people are getting mm-hmm. vaccinated. Um, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, please sign up. <laughs> yes. um, you know, I, I'm realizing that I'm not going to know where I fit into when I, I go back out into the world, like where does my body lie within this structure that has fallen into place? Like there's a year that we haven't really been in public and, you know, my body's changed. Um, and I, I see it and I'm, I'm working through it because again, I can only see bodies online or the people that I closely hang out with, like my family. But again, those relationships aren't based off of like what we look like or a social hierarchy or anything like that. It would be stupid to say like, there is no social hierarchy, but there is. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we all have to, you know, cope with that in different ways. But um, my biggest thing that helped me to was, saying goodbye to relationships in in real life that make me feel emotionally drained. I call them um, uh, emotional vampires. Like they just make me feel so drained. Um, And knowing that it's okay to step away, like it's genuinely okay to step away. You're meant to grow out of relationships. Um, And you'll see a theme here, like your body image is it is not the problem. Your body is not the problem. It's your surroundings. So it's, it's you understanding that you have autonomy to create 
your safe place through every single relationship that you have, through every person that you follow on social media, um, with every meal that you eat. What what do you want to eat? Do you want to eat something with a crunchy texture? Do you want to eat something that brings you nostalgia? Do you want to eat something in that way to bring you comfort? Do you want a brownie or a salad? Whatever you can, you can curate this world that feels so effortless. And I promise you when you take these actionable steps, like I hate when people give me like the advice to just love yourself. Like nothing grinds my gears more than that because I'm like, you can't just say that you need to tell me how to make things at least like 1% better because I feel like wringing your neck. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I need something to do, like give me a fucking task to get there. Exactly. Um, That's why I always give people these actionable steps. So um, whether it be, you know, just, saying no to hanging out with them and, and understanding that it might feel a little sucky at first, but, um, after the fact, you're going to realize how much more energy you have to bring into the world, into people that bring you energy. And it's just going to be this whole domino effect of, of freedom. And for me personally, like, I still struggle with a lot. I still struggle with relationships that drain me or activities that drain me or, you know, going through burnout and then going through burnout and also dealing with autoimmune disease stuff. Like I have bad body image days because of that, but I can choose to take a step back and say like, hang on a second. I don't need to overwork myself. And then I swear my body image just goes through the roof after I like realize those outward things that I can control. And I think a lot of body image struggles and honestly, just, you know, mental health for me, my anxiety are feeling out of control and it's turning to the things that you actually, and I don't mean food and exercise because a lot of times those of us who are anxious and have like teetered on orthorexia thought that we were controlling them and they were actually controlling us. But I mean, things that you can control by what you said, like saying no to certain people, like that has been a big thing for me over the past two years is evaluating my relationships. I don't, you don't have the time in your life, especially like once you graduate from college and you start working in the real world and then you potentially start a family, like your time is precious Mm -hmm. and it should be given to people who fill you up, not drain you. And that's a huge thing that I've been focusing on. And same with activities, things like spending your time doing things that you enjoy, not that drain you. Um, But I also think that there's this like push that we are all supposed to come out of this pandemic quarantine and I, I would say this is being pushed on social media of like a transformed human physically at, in the way of like gaining muscle, losing weight, like looking snatched, quote unquote. And you see these TikTok transformations, like, you know, post a video of you in the beginning of the year, end of year, whatever. And, you know, if some people did that and they like feel great and it's and and they are doing it in a mindful way and they are feel empowered, that's great on them. However, the push that we all need to have done that is bullshit. And what I say to people who ask, like, how are you feeling about all this? It's like you fucking survived a global pandemic. That is a win. Like, why is that being overlooked? I know I it reminder to you, myself and everybody, we are literally going through an extremely traumatic experience. Like this isn't, 
this isn't to be taken lightly. Like we have gone through a extremely traumatic experience emotionally, physically, um, globally, like this is insane what we are going through right now. And I think we try to rationalize it as a coping mechanism, but it's, and that's okay. Cause I do that every day to like, not think about the extent of everything, Mm -hmm. but also know that our body handles trauma in different ways. And when I was Um, recovering from PTSD from an abusive relationship and going through recovery. Like I was so inflamed, like my body was holding so much trauma. And so to think that our bodies are going to just like come out on the other side of trauma in a, in a way that is like perfection, like that is so backwards, like so backwards. We need to just understand that we are all emotionally a little scarred and just support each other. (laughs) Yes. Like we don't need to be coming out of this as a different human. Emotionally, a lot of us are in a positive way and that's great, but it like you survived you, you, that is the focus. I don't Mm -hmm. care if if you gained weight, it it shouldn't matter like that. You didn't get a totally different body within this pandemic. Like that's an absurd expectation. Mm -hmm. So that's also another thing I focus on. And then the last listener question, you know, you mentioned you've down days. I think it's bullshit to promote this mentality that we're going to love our body every single day. And we're always going to be happy. Like it's, it's never going to happen. And I remember when I would see that in the days that in the moments where I was having really dark times, it was like, well, they can love themselves all the time. Why can't I even love myself one day? And so I always try to be very honest in the fact that like, yeah, for the most part, my critical voice has been silenced, but she still rears her head all the time. Like the other day I was standing in front of a mirror naked and I FaceTimed my sister because I was like, I'm crying. I need you to laugh with me. Can we look at my ass right now? Like, I, yes. Like that's one thing, like having someone that you can turn to. So the question is, what is one thing you tell yourself when you're down? But I will just say from that experience, my younger sister, like having someone that you can turn to that, you know, will like accept what you're saying, acknowledge it and laugh with you because my husband's never going to be like, you're right, Cam, your butt doesn't look the same. Like he knows that if he said that there's a chance he'd get smacked. Um, but my little sister is like, oh my fucking God, I can't handle this. This is absurd. But then she's like, who the fuck cares? You know, you, you just need someone to kind of like not commiserate with, but Mm -hmm. I do think having a person that you can vocally speak these things to who will accept them and then be like, but you still look great. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Instead of just writing it off right away. But do Mm -hmm. you have things that you tell yourself when you're down? Yeah. Um, one thing that I learned in it was, it's not something that I tell myself. It's more so like what I ask myself, it's what's the kindest thing that I can do for myself in this moment. Um, cause a lot of times I, I struggle with, uh, well, I live with lupus, um, and interstitial cystitis and some other autoimmune issues. And then I love my work so much to the point where I burn out very easily. Cause I, I just like obsess over it and I just yeah, love yeah. every part of it. Um, but when I hit burnout and then my autoimmune diseases flare up because of that burnout, I have really bad 
body image days. I think I am like the worst person in the world. I'm useless. Like all of these thoughts go into my head. I'm like, I'm not motivated enough. I see so many people doing these things and why can't I do them? And then I'm like, well, then why is my body like this? And then I go out of my way to like, look on, on TikTok and I spend more, (laughs) more time on, on social media than when I have a good day. And then it's bound to happen that you come across a body that is going to trigger something, not because of them, but because of what your past experiences have been. Um, but I, in those moments, I'm like, okay, what can I do for myself right now? Like what, let's pause. Um, and my therapist and I have, uh, created a toolbox, um, that I like visually see. So I, I have like, I literally imagine a, a toolbox. Like I designed my toolbox. I know it's red. I know that it has a special lock and I can open it when I'm having a bad day. So when I do have a bad day, I open that up and I, um, you know, call my best friend, Gabby mail. Um, I go do puzzles because that like being so all consumed in something else, like puzzles or any kind of like, like crafts, something with your hands because you're not on your phone. I feel the same way. Um, anything that can really get you out of your body and out of your head into doing something that can make you feel proud of yourself that you can like visually see is something that I love doing. Um, that has nothing to do with your body or getting outside. Um, because, in the pandemic, we are stuck between four walls, a ceiling and a floor, and there's not much room for our thoughts to go anywhere. Um, so whatever weather it is outside, like it sucks to go outside in cold weather or rainy weather or stormy weather, but like doing that, you're going to feel a thousand times better if you just go through that, um, you know, difficult difficulty, either going outside in the rain, it's obviously going to be better if you go out in the sun, but um, you're going to feel better when you understand that there's a lot more world outside than just inside of wherever you're living or wherever you're at. I totally agree. I can feel so enclosed sometimes, especially in an apartment. And it's almost a visual of how I feel in my own mind with thoughts, because I think our minds can be jail cells for really awful thoughts. And if you don't let them out, they just fester and they grow and they make friends and they take on other thoughts. Um, And so for me, I will say releasing my thoughts, whether that's like you mentioned, calling a best friend or I'm a big journaler, um, just writing everything down like word vomit. And then I am a mantra person. And for me, a lot of my anxiety, especially tied into body comes into, and this started with my health journey. And I have a lot of anxiety over my health because of past things I've experienced, but it's that everything is permanent and it'll never get better. And so I constantly am telling myself, everything is temporary. This is temporary. It will be okay. And like, I am worthy. Like I am worthy of doing this or wearing this or eating this or, you know, even with work stuff, like I am worthy of doing these types of things. Comparison is so real, especially in the content creation world and imposter syndrome. And I think it ties into, they all tie in together. So thank you for giving us those tangible pieces of advice, because I think it's always helpful to have like an actual thing that you can do as a listener. And then 
we've talked a lot about body and food, but not food specifically. But to close, I do ask, what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Um, oh, I think so. I touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, but I, in recovery, I always, um, ate with somebody. Um, I, whether it be through FaceTime, just having that, um, uh, realization that food is meant to be enjoyed with somebody or yourself. Um, so community relationships with people and, and understanding that, that it can be enjoyed, um, food texture. I love, um, crunchy textures. So like I always add like, um, tortilla chips to a taco salad. Like I love those things. Um, and nostalgia. Like I like eating foods that you ate as a child that bring you a sense of home is my favorite thing in the world. Like I used to always have, um, just a a toast with butter, cinnamon, and sugar. Like I love that shit. And every single time I eat it, I feel so comfortable. And I would say those are the three things. I love those. I love all of those. And it's so funny because nostalgia is a big one for me. And during my pregnancy, I've had very intense cravings for nostalgic foods. Mm -hmm. Like there's this Armenian cheese that my family always has in our fridge. And like at every holiday or party or gathering, like it was always there. And it was our afternoon snack every day when we came home from school, like that and wheat thins. And there was like a week where that was all I wanted. Joe would be like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like the Armenian cheese and wheat thins. He's like, I don't know if that's a meal, but let's get it. All right. Um, Like nostalgia with food is so freaking real. It's the same with sense. It brings like senses in the, the smell of something. Mm -hmm. Um, It brings you back so much. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I have so enjoyed speaking with you. I know a lot of the Freckle Foodie community is a huge fan of yours. So I'm sure they're very excited, as excited as I am. For anyone who's listening who did not know who you were and they want more of you, where is the best place to follow? Mick Zazon on all social media. So M-I-K-Z-A-Z-O-N. Easy peasy. It'll all be in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on here. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for having me. Hi guys, it's me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mick as much as I did. I have just absolutely loved following her. I think she is such a breath of fresh air. And if you are new to Mick, I highly recommend checking her out on all of her platforms and joining her community as well, because it is a great place to be speaking from someone who's a part of it. Um, A few things going on just to chat about The first and foremost, depending on when you're listening to this, but if you're listening to this on the day it releases, then it is timely. The verdict on the Derek Chauvin trial, I am so glad that he was convicted of all three charges. And I hate that I even have to say I'm kind of honestly surprised. Like it was just a sigh of relief. I don't know if I'm surprised, but still there was this like, is it going to happen? Is he going to get acquitted? What like? what will that even look like? And the fact that there's still that fear and like holding your breath to see the result is clear that we still have so much work to do and this system still needs to be reformed. And this is not justice. This is like accountability. I said this on my stories. This is the bare minimum. Like you, you killed someone, you committed a crime. You're now being charged for that crime. That's what should be happening. That's like, That's just what should be a standard. Um, Sadly, it's not because 
a lot of the law enforcement believes that they are above the law. But again, it, it yes, it's a step in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that we've suddenly fixed all of this. Um, so I just would be remiss to not even address that. Obviously, there is a lot still to be done because this was one not one bad apple, but the the system is a bit rotten at its core and it needs reform and changes need to be made. Um, Another thing regarding news that I wanted to touch on, which is, I think, like relatable to this interview is this New York Times article. I shared it on my stories and I'll post it in the podcast notes, but it's New York Times banish anxiety about your post-lockdown looks. And this is something we've talked about a bit across many platforms of this like fear of what your body looks like exiting the pandemic and this pressure that people feel to exit the pandemic looking the same or more fit or thinner or whatever it might be to have like accomplished quote unquote something during this pandemic. I said this many times and I will say it again for anyone who feels this way. You survived a global pandemic. That is enough. You do not need to, there should not be anything else you are concerned about other than the fact that you are potentially exiting this pandemic having survived it. That is a real fucking win. So it doesn't matter if you gained weight along the way. It doesn't matter if you didn't get into a certain type size of genes that you told yourself you were going to. Like we all had such heavy ambitious goals going into this pandemic. And my family and I were talking about this. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn how to, I'm going to learn how to speak Spanish again because I took it in high school and like middle school and high school. I'm going to do like a course a month from, like I said that I was going to do all these courses online so that I could get like honorary degrees from all the Ivy Leagues. Like there were so many things. Bitch, the focus is not getting the coronavirus. It's not about how many languages you can learn, how many hobbies you can pick up, how many things you can do with your time. Like mentally and physically making it through this past year is a big win that should not be overlooked. So this article talks a lot about that. Um, It talks about how it's not personal, like diet culture is everywhere. Even in the beginning when people were like, oh, the quarantine 15 or the COVID-19, like right there. That's pushed on social media everywhere, basically saying like that your worthiness is tied into your weight, which it's not at all. Another point they have is like your friends don't actually care, which I say all the time, but like no no one's concerned what you look like nearly as much as you are concerned what you look like. Like everyone's so wrapped up in themselves that they're not even paying attention to you. And then again, it's you survived. So I'll tag the, or I'll link the article. I personally think it's a really good read. I also am going to link another New York Times article in the show notes about um, the emotion that a lot of people seem to be feeling during this time of like, not depression, but feeling like they're in a fog and unmotivated. And they put a name to it called languishing. And I think sometimes just having a name for an emotion you're feeling makes you feel A, less alone, but B, like, okay, this is something. It's not just this wide, deep hole of feelings that I can't even target or 
specifically describe. So I found it helpful and I, I don't totally resonate with the emotions simply because I think there are a lot of other things going on in my life right now. However, I think that it's very relatable for the normal or like standard population right now and how we are feeling as a country. So I'll link that also. Personally, I just got off with my therapist and I was saying how I'm kind of shocked I haven't had a panic attack because given the fact that we are almost a month away from delivery and that we're still dealing with the madness that is this construction project and like potentially going to start, I mean, as you're listening to this, hopefully we started yesterday, um, and not exactly knowing, like hoping it'll be done, but you never know. And also you don't know when a baby is born. So just so many unknowns. For me, this is like a Molotov cocktail and an absolute recipe for panic attack. And I'm kind of surprised I haven't had one. Um, And I was talking to her about that. And I think it has to do because there's almost so much to do and so many of them are tasks that I'm able to focus my brain space and time into these tasks. And it almost makes me feel good when I check one off. But at the same time, I almost just had a complete hysterical like breakdown because I just feel so overwhelmed. So it's back and forth every second of every day. Um, especially with work right now, I'm feeling very negatively comparative on social media. Um, I feel like constantly I'm seeing all these people do these incredible things and get these incredible gigs or press or whatever. And they deserve it. And it's amazing. And I'm so happy for these people. And most of them aren't people I like actually know, but still, but there's still the voice in my head. That's like, well, fuck, why don't you have that? And I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's supportive. Um, so I'm working on it, but I'm just being honest with you all that I have it. And it's not a fun voice to have in my mind. And I hate, or I just don't enjoy the criticalness of it. And so that's something I need to, I want to work on. See, even I'm hard on myself when I say things I want to work on. Um, It's something I want to work on because it's doing me no good to compare myself to others and beat myself up for not getting something that I didn't even know was like, it's not even there are things that I absolutely wanted and someone else got it. Like that would be one thing. It's things that I wasn't even aware of or wanting or any of that. And I think that this happens in a non-entrepreneurial space, but I do think that it's magnified in the influencer space because everything everyone's doing is so fucking public, even just when it comes down to the numbers of things. Like you see how many followers someone has. It's so easy to compare. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think that anything good comes from it. So if you are like me and you get in that mindset sometimes, um, Try to work your way out of it. Try to focus on doing what you actually enjoy. Try to focus on the fact that you are creating and cultivating a community. You are doing something of importance, hopefully. And the numbers aren't the focus. And they will follow if you are passionate about what you're doing, but still it's not the focus. So that was my own pep talk for myself and for anyone else who's in it. I hope that helped. That is it for today. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and we will be back next week. There are only a few more episodes before maternity leave, my people. So if you aren't caught up, don't worry. You will have June and July to catch up on all the shows. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. 
It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.